Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for Cybersecurity for the week of December 18th through December 24th, 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Let me know if you enjoy the content, if you wanna see other content on the channel, not just related to this show. And then if you're listening on podcasting platform, because we're available on Spotify, iTunes, a whole bunch of others, then also subscribe on there. Leave a review on there as well. This is uh, uh, this is posting on Saturday, so um, we're a day before Christmas. So you know, for everybody out there that's celebrating Christmas, Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays for anybody else. If there's any other holidays that you're celebrating, this is kind of that time of year where we're getting into the uh, slower parts of the year for most industries, not all industries because there are some that have picked up and that are really busy right now. But for a lot of other people, this is kind of that time where we're slowing down, we're starting to spend a lot of time with family and starting to kind of do some other things, maybe feel a little bit burnt out, but want to rest uh, just from the rest of the year and kind of prepare for that next year for 2023 because it's coming. It's uh, about a week away, so we're about to start that new year. Um, but without any further delay, and also too, just before we get started, uh, check the description because there will be a link to the show notes. So if you want to see the articles that we talk about, then definitely go check those out. Those will be on my website if you're interested, but johngood.com. And again, the link will be in the description. So you'll be able to check those out as well as some other articles that we didn't cover in this, uh, in this episode either. So without further delay, let's go ahead and jump into the articles. First article, CISA researchers say Russia's fancy bear infiltrated U.S. satellite network. Researchers at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, CISA, whatever you want to call it, uh, recently discovered suspected Russian hackers lurking inside a U.S. satellite network, raising fresh concerns about Moscow's intentions to infiltrate and disrupt the rapidly expanding space economy. While details of the attack are scant, researchers blame the incident on the Russian military group known as Fancy Bear, APT-28. It involved a satellite communication provider with customers in U.S. critical infrastructure sectors. Space security is a growing global concern, especially as key industries and militaries around the world are increasingly rely, uh, reliant on satellite for vital communications, GPS, and internet access. So yeah, if you're not familiar with what critical infrastructure is or that kind of terminology, basically the idea is that there are certain infrastructures or certain industries, certain kind of companies, products, services, things like that, that are considered critical infrastructure where we are so reliant on it that if it were to go down, it would cause extreme serious uh, issues, maybe catastrophic issues, right? So things like power grids, uh, satellite systems, water treatment systems, um, water plants, nuclear power, whatever, right? Like all this different stuff is considered critical infrastructure because it is so important. And so there's some extra concerns and controls and things like that that are put into place to make sure that it is more secure than just your standard kind of organization. And 
Uh, this also says a cyber attack against the U.S. telecom company Viasat, which provides internet service in Europe, disrupted internet service in Ukraine just before the Russian invasion in February. And if you've been watching the show for a little bit, then we actually talked about that and how that was a serious issue. We've also talked about examples of places like DEF CON and Black Hat conventions where um, there are, are examples of researchers that are showing how they're able to get into some of these satellite systems. So it's, you know, it is a thing. It's not brand new. Um, there, Gregory Falco, professor at Johns Hopkins University, who focuses on space cybersecurity, described the state of satellite security as the most critical and vulnerable than any other point in history. And, you know, like this article said, right, we're reliant on it for GPS, for some communications. You have things like um, like uh, Starlink, so Elon Musk's uh, internet company, Viasat. You know, so there, there's a lot of reliance on that, right? Uh, if you live in a isolated area, somewhere, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere, then you might have satellite internet or satellite TV or something, right? And so it's just, it's heavily, uh, we're heavily reliant on it. Now, because we're so reliant on that, right? If a government or military or somebody was able to infiltrate and affect that uh, device, that satellite or that communications, right? That could cause some serious issues, right? Depending on what they're able to affect. Not only that, but think of this. What if they're able to get into the control systems? So when things are out in orbit, typically they have, um, you know, it's not, it, they might have some kind of boosters or something will kind of keep it in orbit, let's say. And so, you know, if somebody is able to get into those kind of systems and affect it, maybe even just a little bit. In space, a little bit could mean, you know, drastic things, right? Um, and then cause that to kind of get out of its orbit, out of its path, and then start coming down and crashing into uh, the world, right? Somewhere, uh, some country, United States or uh, Mexico or, you know, some country. That's a serious issue, right? And so if you've ever worked in the critical infrastructure, you know that there are a lot of controls that are put into place. There's a lot of checks, auditing, and concern with those kind of systems. So very interesting. Um, you know, again, we're seeing a lot of stuff related to satellite communications. And the other thing I'll say, too, is, you know, think about these systems. In a lot of cases, they're built to last a while. Right, so if you put something in space, it's not cost—it's uh, not cost-effective to bring that back down, typically, or it hasn't been right, uh, and then repair it down here, uh, you know, on on land, right? <laughs> but um, you know, typically, if something has to get re be repaired, the people go up and then they work on it or do whatever they have to do. But um, you know, it, it's just very, very interesting because you see a lot of legacy stuff in those kind of systems that are built to last a long time, right? Maybe not today, right? Like if it's a brand new system, it might not be legacy today. Obviously, we hope not. But in 20, 30, 40 years, whatever is implemented on there probably is gonna be considered a legacy system and have to be replaced. So there's all kinds of you know, concerns around uh, critical infrastructure kind of things. Next article. Epic Games agrees to pay record-breaking $520 million for privacy violations. Have you heard about this? 
Epic Games, the developer of popular video game Fortnite, I don't know if you play Fortnite, but pretty popular game, agreed to pay $520 million over allegations the company violated digital privacy protections for children and used so-called dark patterns to trick users into making unintentional purchases, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, announced on Monday. The agency, which oversees antitrust and consumer prote uh, protection enforcement, said the agreement consisted of two, uh, consisted of two separate record-breaking settlements, one triggered by a court order filed by the Department of Justice on behalf of the FTC involves a $275 million penalty for violating the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA. Uh, it is the largest penalty ever obtained for violating an FTC rule, the agency said, and Epic will be required to adopt strong privacy default settings for children and teens. The second involved in order for Epic to pay $245 million to refund customers for its dark pattern and billing practices. It's the largest administrative order in history and the FTC's largest refund amount in a gaming case. So, you know, a couple things to unpack here. We've seen with a lot of different platforms that anything involving uh, children, right, is heavily scrutinized. We've seen YouTube start to roll out features that are very geared towards protecting children and the kind of content that they consume what they're able to do, right? Like some of that isn't necessarily new because we've seen things like, um, you know, some of the things where it's like, you have to be 13 or older to do this or, you know, whatever it was, right? Or you need your parents' consent. And so we've seen some of this stuff roll out, but now we're really starting to see it mass scale kind of amp up as far as what is required in this. And then you have companies like this that are, kind of trying to skate around these protections, right? And they're trying to be deceptive. We see a lot of companies in general try to be deceptive and how they, you know, oh, we're gonna put this button here because you're basically have to click here in the app to make it function and do what it's supposed to do, but that's actually gonna buy something. So if you, if you instead click the regular, uh, instead of clicking the regular button, you click the one to buy something, then it's gonna buy something, right? Like. No, I mean, whatever, but that's kind of the idea, right? Where you're doing things that are so deceptive that it's kind of like you have no choice in a lot of cases to, to buy something or pay, pay something. And so I'm not really surprised that we're seeing them go after this, especially because it's targeted towards kids. And, you know, $245 million, that's quite a bit. We've seen uh, Epic Games, you know, in the news a little bit over the last couple of years with some different, uh, different issues that they've had. But, you know, it, it's unfortunate when we kind of see some sketchy business practices because, you know, let's be honest, you probably should act ethically in a business. You know, I'm just saying, especially when it's so wide scale, do you really need to be super deceptive and do some shady practices? I mean, in general, no. But in this case, you shouldn't either. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's good to see them going after a company for being shady, right? Like, there's no other way to put it. Don't be shady. So, uh, LinkedIn has massively cut the time it takes to detect security threats. Here's how it did it. With hundreds of millions of users, LinkedIn needs to ensure its systems are secure against a range of ever-evolving cyber threats. We know this, you know, any kind of company really, especially big companies or targets, 
you know, totally get it. Uh, it was with this goal in mind that over a period of six months between March 2022 and September 2022, LinkedIn rebuilt its threat detection and monitoring capabilities along with its security operations center at SOC. And that process started with reevaluating how potential threats are analyzed and detected in the first place. There's a quote, every good team and program begins with a pop, uh, proper threat model. We have to understand what are the actual threats that are facing our company, Bollinger explains. By using automation as part of the anal analysis process, Moonbase shifted the SOC towards a new model, a software-defined and cloud-centric security operation. The goal of the software-defined SOC is that much of the initial threat detection is left automation, which flags potential threats and inv that investigators can examine. So, yeah, this is a new strategy just in general within security, uh, cybersecurity, if you're not familiar with it. But traditionally, what's happened is there's been an, an increase of things that we have to look for, you know, an increase of attacks, ways that attackers can infiltrate our network and maneuver and pivot around. And basically, you know, in cybersecurity, staffing is a huge issue in general, right? Staffing, skilled staffing, there's a lot of reasons for that. And uh, in this video, we're not really gonna go into that because that is a huge discussion uh, on its own, why that exists and why that continues to exist. But, you know, in the way that things currently are, right? When you're looking at things, sometimes you have to look at your current team, your current capabilities, and the things that you can do, right? So that, that's an important, it's kind of a self-assessment. And when you do that, you kind of start to analyze where your weaknesses are, right? Where your gaps are, your security control gaps, and what you can do. In security operations, you know, one of the most important things that you can do is detect and identify incidents as early as possible, right? The more time that you have from detection uh, till something really bad happens, right? Uh, the more time that you have in that, in that period, the more chance that you have at stopping that uh, attack from being successful and, you know, preventing bad things to happen on your network, right? So if you can detect it on day one instead of day 50, then maybe that attacker did something, but they did a whole lot less than if they were in your network for 50 days or a year or whatever it is, right? So detection time really, really matters for uh, cybersecurity. And honestly, we can't detect it all. There's a lot of false positives. Depending on how things are set up, you might have a lot of tuning in your tools that has to be done. But if you can use automation to really hone that and improve that, then that's huge, right? Because you can use automation to handle things like routine tasks, right? One of the things that you'll notice if you're just getting into cybersecurity or if you've been in cybersecurity for a while is that you have routine tasks. You have things that you constantly do that are just you know, pretty standard, right? There's a few indicators of, you know, something happened or, you know, you have to do something and then you do this step, this step, this step, and this step, right? Like that's, that's where automation really, really excels is the consistent things, right? Obviously, when there are one-off things or things that are not common, they're not standard, they don't follow a standard path, well, then, yeah, you got to investigate. And that's kind of what's happening here is that's going to trigger an alarm or alert. Hey, we detected this. But we don't know what it is or we don't know how to respond. This needs to be investigated, right? Or this was super extensive. 
and we think this might have happened, but we're not sure. We need this to investigate. So you're going to see that a lot in organizations is this shift and this attempt to really try to automate things. We also see this with like infrastructure rollouts. So if you're dealing with the cloud, for example, you know, one of the things that uh, is really important and really popular and growing in popularity right now is the idea of automating your infrastructure rollouts, your deployments, right? So you can use infrastructure as code. So things are very consistent. You're gonna roll out uh, maybe like a VPC on AWS and a couple EC2 instances. And every EC2 instance is also gonna get an S3 bucket or you know, whatever, right? But um, that's kind of the idea, right? The more that you can use automation in your, uh, even in your personal life, right? Like it's a good idea, but in these organizations where they're already short staffed, you know, automation is huge. So if you're looking for a career area too, that's an important thing to consider because one area that is really going to continue to explode and evolve over, you know, the next several years, probably well into the future, right? Is automation and helping companies automate tasks. Um, you know, it, I can't stress that enough, especially if you want to go into the cloud then automation is huge. Being able to automate that stuff is so crucial because nobody wants to go into the console and deploy the same EC2 instances or the same infrastructure. It just doesn't make sense when you can automate it with code. Code is uh, reliable, it's consistent results, which is the key, right? Any kind of automation, it has to be consistent as far as the results. Otherwise, it's not all that useful, but, um, you know, coding automation, uh, those are two really good areas. So DevSecOps is a really good area that I would uh, actually, you know, say consider looking at if you're trying to find, you know, your place in this industry. So uh, let's see here. Speaking of cloud, McGraw-Hill's S3 buckets exposed 100,000 students uh, grades and personal info. Misconfigured Amazon Web Services S3 buckets belonging to McGraw-Hill Exposed more than 100,000 students' information, as well as the education publishing giant's own source code and digital keys, according to security researchers. Research team VPN Mentor said that they discovered the open S3 buckets on June 12th and contacted McGraw-Hill a day later. One production bucket contained more than 47 million files and 12 terabytes of data, and a second non-production bucket held more than 69 million files and 10 terabytes of data, we're told. It included students' names, email addresses, performance reports, and grades, as well as teachers' syllabi and course reading materials for U.S. and Canadian students and schools, such as Johns Hopkins University, University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, University of Toronto, and University of Michigan. Misconfigured S3 buckets could have been accessed by anyone with the web browser as far back as 2015, we're told. So, you know, again, cloud, right? <laughs> cloud. Uh, cloud is still growing in importance. So if you don't know about cloud, you should probably go get a cloud certification. But, you know, buckets are always a concern, right? S3 buckets in AWS, uh, they're, they're basically like Dropboxes or storage locations, if you're not familiar with them. That's more or less what they are, right? Um, but that's what AWS calls them. They call them S3 buckets. And um, 
you know, we've seen all kinds of issues with buckets before. Let's be honest, right? Um, one of the issues with buckets is that you have the ability to make it either a private bucket or a public bucket, okay? So if it's a private bucket, bucket, then that would be like protecting it, right? Preventing access to only specific users or certain circumstances. If it's public, anybody can access it, right? Or at least anybody that can get into that, um, you know, that can access that location, right? And so one of the issues that we saw historically with S3 buckets and Specifically, this is going to be relevant because it said since 2015 that, you know, kind of back in the day, right, several years ago, uh, there was way more uh, issues as far as marking a bucket as public or private. Okay. So we saw a ton of buckets that were exposed. They were marked as public, right, available for everybody to access. And you could just go in there like a Dropbox, visit the uh, URL or the location. And you could just see all the data, right? You could access it. Well, AWS has kind of made some configuration changes and things like that. But now if you were to go configure a bucket, uh, typically, you know, by default, it's going to be set to private, right? It's going to block public access is the, uh, is the actual setting. And so that's a good thing, right? But, you know, what about these legacy buckets or these buckets that have been around for a while? You know, in your organization, do you go back and check old buckets and make sure that they're set a specific way? They're set to private if they need to be, right? Depending on the kind of information that you have in there, you need to have it set correctly. Now, another issue, right, is, okay, so you deploy a bucket, right? And it's all set up. It's set up as private. So you have it correctly configured. Only, you know, your users in your organization can access it. Cool, right? And then some administrator goes in there and they change it, right? So they change it to uh, public. Well, okay, so how are you detecting that, right? Like, are you getting an alert or some kind of event, auditable event, that says this has been changed to public from private? And then how do you respond to that, right? So are you, uh, when that happens, do you have processes in place where it's gonna automatically flip that back to private. Do you have it generate an alert and it does that as well? Do you have it just generate an alert and then an administrator goes and looks at it or somebody goes and looks at it and sees if that is what it's supposed to be, right? Um, you know, <laughs> it, it's pretty easy to do it. You know, if you went in there and you were just looking around in the settings and you just wanted to uncheck it and you had the permissions to do it, make it public, I mean, you could do it, right? Um, so it's, again, you know, there's all these different phases of the life cycle of a bucket, right? So when you're first pu uh, pushing it out, you're first establishing it, you're creating it. So is that in code, how you're creating it? Are you manually going into the console and you're creating it? Do you have the right settings, right? Is it set correctly? Is it set through code? And then when it's out there, you know, how are you maintaining that status? That's a really important uh, point because if you're gonna be in the cloud, you have to think about some of this stuff because you know, these are real issues, right? It's not like, oh, this is kind of like a one-off situation, right? Like the, this happens still. We still see things like buckets that are public, there's secrets that are in buckets that are public, 
There are GitHub repositories that are public that are supposed to be private. There are secrets in those re repos that are supposed to be private, but they're public. Like, you know, there's sensitive information in some of this stuff that's not a secret, but it's other stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough, right? Like you, you really have to pay attention to this stuff and try to put processes in place and policies in place and code and, you know, tasks that are going to check this stuff. You have to do it, right? Because if you don't, things are going to change just like any kind of configuration management uh, policy or a process, right? With a program like that, you know, it's going to check for like new software and changes and you know, all that kind of stuff and then gr and group policy. And if changes are made, then it will revert it back or it won't let it happen, right? So um, it, I, I just can't stress it enough. It's really, really important that you do that. So uh, let's see here. Next article, British newspaper, The Guardian says it's been hit by ransomware. British newspaper, The Guardian has confirmed its systems have been hit by a serious IT incident which it believes is uh, likely a ransomware attack. The Guardian, whose media editor was first to report the incident, said the incident began late on Tuesday and has affected parts of the company's IT infrastructure. As a result, the publisher and it's, ex uh, and it's experiencing distribution to behind-the-scenes services and employees have been told to remote, uh, work remotely for the rest of the week. However, the company says that online publishing is largely unaffected adding that it was confident it could still produce Thursday's print newspaper. Further details about the attack remain vague, and it's unclear how the Guardian systems were compromised, whether data was stolen or whether it received a ransom demand. Ransomware attacks typically exfiltrate the threat, uh, then threaten to publish a victim's personal data unless a ransom demand is paid. We've seen a lot of ransomware attacks. So far, we don't have a ton of information on this, and I'm going to guess that there's going to be more that's going to come out with this. Like a lot of these incidents, you know, over time, uh, things kind of change and we, we find out more information. And, you know, th this is going to be that same kind of situation where we just find out more over time, right? So uh, let's see here. Next article, Okta source code stolen after GitHub repositories hacked. Okta, a leading provider of authentication services and identity access management, IAM solutions, says that its private GitHub repositories were hacked this month. According to a confidential email notification sent by Okta and seen by Bleeping Computer, the security incident involves threat actors stealing Okta's source code. Despite stealing Okta's source code, attackers did not gain unauthorized access to the, uh, the Okta service or customer data, says the company. Okta's HIPAA, FedRAMP, or DOD customers remain unaffected as the company does not rely on the confidentiality of its source code as a means to secure its services. As such, no customer action is needed. So a lot of companies use Okta. Uh, this is really, you know, for a awareness kind of um, uh, coverage, right? Because it's important to know when services and, and applications that you're using were hacked, right? Like, it's kind of important. So uh, keep an eye on this. We'll see. I mean, typically... You know, typically with this stuff, again, we find out more information over time. So we're going to find out exactly what the case is here. Um, there have been other situations, other companies that have said one thing and, 
you know, obviously we found out more information and that wasn't the case. So we'll, we'll see if that happens here. Uh, let's see here. Organizations warned of new attack vector in Amazon Web Services. Attack vector related to AWS Amazon Virtual Private Cloud feature Elastic IP Transfer, which was announced in October 2022. This feature enables a far easier transfer of Elastic IP addresses from one AWS account to another. However, the researchers revealed that it's possible for a threat actor to exploit Elastic IP transfer and compromise an IP address. At this point, they can launch a wide range of, atta uh, of attacks depending on what type of trust and reliance others have in relation to the hijacked IP. Uh, these include communicating with network endpoints found behind other, other external firewalls used by the victim. If there's an allow rule for a specific Elastic IP address that's been transferred, another possible tactic is to conduct malicious activities using Elastic IP addresses, such as command and control servers uh, for malware campaigns that may go under the radar of defensive tools. And they give a few recommendations for mitigation, applying the principle of least privilege by utilizing AWS service control policies, automated detection and response through the use of enable address transfer API, using AWS bring your own IP, BYOIP feature, and reverse DNS protections. Uh, let's see here. Kaspersky research finds reverse engineering is the most on-demand skill among InfoSec specialists. Have you seen this? According to the results shown by latest statistics from participants passing Kaspersky expert training courses, the most desired IT security professionals uh, skill that IT security professionals wanted to advance in 2022 is the ability to reverse engineer malware. According to the Burning Glass report, the number of new cybersecurity programs is rapidly growing, but demand for cybersecurity professionals is growing faster and outstripping the supply of skilled workers as companies now pay more attention to their cybersecurity than they did previously. Some of the statistics that it gave, more than 45% of uh, learners were interested in improving reverse engineering skills and uh, demonstrated by beginners and advanced specialists wanting to enhance their knowledge. There was also demand for YAR rules training with almost 28% of students enrolled. Additionally, 27% of learners signed up for courses related to, were related to incident response, malware analysis, and product security assessment. So, you know, there's a lot of skills that we need skilled people in in cybersecurity. So these are definitely popular areas, especially if you're gonna be more on the technical side, right? Like these are definitely gonna be security operations center kind of jobs. Um, typically incident response is not like NGRC or something. So keep that in mind, depending on kind of where you wanna work and what your, uh, your aptitude is, what you enjoy doing, right? Like all those kind of things matter because certain areas are gonna click with you more than others. You might not enjoy reverse engineering, right? You may love it. So kind of just, uh, just see and kind of go from there. So. so the one last thing that I wanna talk about here is LastPass. So I know a lot of you out there probably are using LastPass or have used LastPass or have thought about using LastPass. And there has been more information that's come out as far as their breach. So apparently the hackers that were able to uh, compromise an employee's account a few months ago, it's kind of coming out that they were actually able to get some password vaults and things like that. And if you're not familiar with how LastPass works, basically 
got this master password that encrypts everything in this vault and inside the vault is like your passwords, notes, um, things like that, that you would want to store in there, right? So they are saying that, yeah, the attackers were able to get some of these vaults. And the idea here is that if your master password wasn't super secure, if it was a very easy password to guess, it was a compromised password somewhere else, you know, all of those things are gonna make it a lot easier for an attacker to guess and to actually get into your vault and see all your passwords, right? Like they're gonna be able to decrypt that information. LastPass themselves, they don't actually take your master password. So if you get anybody asking what your master password is, saying they're from LastPass or something, is not them. They won't ask you for that, so keep that in mind. But if you, uh, if you do have LastPass, I would highly recommend a couple things, right? Recommend changing your master password for sure, right? Change that. Um, even if it was secure, I would probably change it. You know, the longer that your password is, the longer it takes to crack passwords. So unless somebody has a quantum computer, you're probably not gonna crack a, like a 20 character password for a long time, right? Especially if it's complex and kind of crazy. But you know, keep that in mind. Uh, also, enable two-factor authentication wherever you can. Any, pa any applications, services, make sure that you enable it. Um, let's see here. What else? Any kind of passwords that you have on there that don't have two-factor authentication, I would change those passwords. I would also change any critical uh, accounts. So things like banking or financial stuff, um, anything that's really important, I'll probably just go ahead and change those passwords just to make sure. Um, because if that was the last time they were able to access it back in, um, I think it was like August, but a couple months ago, you know, and you haven't changed your password, then maybe those accounts can be breached. So just do general best practices as far as you know, kind of responding to these things personally. I know it probably makes you think about using LastPass or maybe not using LastPass now, but um, just keep those kind of things in mind as far as how to approach it from now, because even if you change out of LastPass and they still have those uh, credentials, then you know, it's still gonna be a bad time for you. So just make sure you take care of your passwords and you do that because I don't want your accounts to be breached. I want you to stay safe. And that goes if, you know, if you're using it at work or anything else too, right? Just, just practice good password hygiene, use secure passwords, change them, uh, and kind of keep moving, right? If you get any alerts about somebody logging in, you know, take those seriously, especially if you have LastPass, but kind of in general too. So, but uh, that's gonna be the last article for this week. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for December 18th, 2022 through December 24th, 2022. I'm your host, John Good. If you're listening on YouTube, uh, watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Let me know how you enjoyed the show, if you wanna see other kind of content or anything else that you wanna see. And then also, if you're listening on uh, podcasting platforms, make sure to subscribe on there, leave a review on there as well. And if you are celebrating Christmas, wanna wish you a Merry Christmas. And for everybody uh, else, Happy holidays and happy new year as well, because we are coming up to the new year again, 2023 coming in about a week. So if you haven't made goals for 2023, you really want to start getting on those. But um, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week and I will see you next time. See you later.